welcome to the Everyday Extraordinary Podcast, where every week I interview a different amazing person who will share about their life journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm excited to share with you everyday people living their lives with purpose, perspective, and positivity. And my hope is that in hearing these stories, you'll view your own story as extraordinary too. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and I am so excited to get started. Thank you so much for being here. Good morning. This is Jessica. Thanks so much for tuning into the Everyday Extraordinary Podcast. This is episode six. My guest today is Liesl Bailey. Liesl is a brave, extraordinary woman who's going to share today about the road of her husband's mental illness and how they really struggled to cope as a family as he sought help and she sought to support him and yet also set her own boundaries and improve upon herself as well during that time. Sometimes we think if you know something's going wrong, we put the blame on the other person and hold them personally responsible for making us happy. But we talk a lot about how that's just not the case. We can't make anybody do anything. We need to be whole and healthy ourselves so that we can then respond in the healthiest way possible. And she has done just that, and it is amazing. I also want to give a lot of credit to her husband for allowing her to share this personal part of their story. We'll also hear about the business she's built and how she now provides for her family. So let's get to my amazing conversation with Liesl Bailey. All right, I'm so excited to be chatting with Liesl Bailey today. Hi, Liesl. Hi, how are you doing? Oh, really good. How are you? I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. One of my favorite mu- musicals of all times is Sound of Music. Were you named after that, Liesl, or did your parents just like the name? I was, and that's so funny that you mentioned that because nobody gets that anymore. Really? Yeah, oh. nobody knows Sound of Music anymore. It's crazy. Well, it is a little long. I will say that it, it is. they could abridge the second true. half a little bit, but man, that first half is just so delightful, and I always dreamed of being Liesl, but I grew up doing musical theater, and I'm only 5'1", and so when it comes to stair-stepping children, I was always playing the 11-year-old, even as an adult, <laughs> just because of the stair-stepping. Right. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Well, I'm really, really excited to chat with you about your life journey and your motherhood and what you've been up to. So will you just give a little background for our listeners on yourself and your family? Sure. So um, in 2010, I moved out to Washington from Utah, where I'm originally from, to become a nanny. um, And I nannied six kids. And while I was there, I met my husband. So we dated for two years. And we got married. And then um, once we got married, we had decided that we wanted kids but didn't really know when. And so we waited a couple years. And from the month before that we got married, I noticed there was something off about my husband. His name is Sean. Um, I didn't know what, uh, but I I thought it was pre-wedding jitters. So, you know, the marriage went forward. And... The next two years was completely different from the two years that we had been dating. And it was super weird to me, but I just thought, you know what? Maybe my life is meant to be ups and downs because they would be. He would be really happy one day and really energetic. He's an extrovert by nature, Um, but he would be reclusive and not want to go out or do anything. So for those two years, it was just kind of a roller coaster, and I was just kind of wondering, like, does everyone go through this? Um, And I continued to nanny. Um, I love nannying. I've always loved kids, but, um, he went from, he, from starting his own business to doing a bunch of different things. He's an HVAC journeyman. And so he had this established career, but, um, 
would just bounce from position to position. And we decided that we would start having kids. Um, so I got married in 2012. We planned on having our first in about two, the end of 2014, 2015. And he was born January 1st, 2015. Mm-hmm. And it was super exciting. Um, but still like these trends just kept coming where it would be really great. And, um, there, my husband does have some addiction mixed in, so it would be kind of, you know, ups and downs with that. But when my son was six months old, my husband was like looking up online. I don't even know how it came up. And he said, I think I have bipolar. And I was like, that's weird. In my family, we grew up, we, um, you know, if we were sick, we gauged how sick we were. Like, okay, did you only throw up once? Did you throw up like multiple times? Can you still do your chores, go to school? You know, like, what can you do? So I was like, yeah, whatever. And I just kind of brushed it off. But he went to the doctor. He pursued it. And it turns out, yeah, he does. He has bipolar. Um, I think it's bipolar one, rapid cycling, which means that he can go from high highs to low lows just in a matter of minutes or hours. Like, it, it's just, you know, crazy. And well, not crazy, but it's just intense. Mm. And so um, we, he found that diagnosis, and he was gung-ho about it. He really wanted to get um, treatment because he had heard all these stories about, you know, people not wanting to take their medication, not wanting to go to therapy, and he didn't want to be one of them. Um, so he got on med- medication right away, but it takes three weeks for it to kick in, and it just nothing was working. He went through um, – I think it was about six months of just changing medication, changing medication and nothing worked. And he just quit looking. Mm. Um, and he was medicated, but only partially because he didn't really think some of them worked and didn't, you know, wanted to try a bunch of things. So, um, we, from there is just like the cycle of ups and downs until he became really, really depressed in, um, our son was two, so it must have been 2017, or no, the end of 2016, so right before my son turned two. And he just, I don't know, I don't know how it is to describe depression to someone who maybe doesn't know, but he would go to work. He was working on a friend's of ours house as a general contractor, just to switch it up. Um, he was building this ADA home, gone for 10-hour days, um, but he would come home and just lay on the couch and wouldn't do anything, didn't want to talk, didn't want to do anything. And this happened, this went on for the better part of a year, longer than a year. Mm. And it all came to a culmination in 2018 when he had just gotten a new job and they were very accommodating about it all. We had just had our baby, our second baby. Our second was one or six months old and he, um, was so depressed that he just started, he'd started having panic attacks and he couldn't go into work. He was now working for an HVAC company and they just wouldn't, they couldn't do it anymore. And so he calls me up one day and he says, Liesl, I am going into work and I think I'm going to get fired. And I had watched this whole process. I had watched the process of him becoming depressed and becoming, you know, just so not himself even from before, you know, things changed, just so not himself. And I knew that something, something had to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can we just stop at that point right now? First of all, you are so brave for sharing this. Um, 
it's got to be very difficult to share this really personal aspect of your life. I want to give tremendous props to your husband for allowing the story to be shared because it is so vulnerable and so personal. But I know for a fact there are people listening who have been there or who know people who are there or have family members that are there and they're trying to understand how to support them and how to help or where to get help. And I know that by you sharing, this can impact lives. And so that's why we do this. And so I want to acknowledge that first. Secondly, I want to go back to the early stages where you started noticing that things were wrong. And I think we've all been there, even when our marriages are, you know, fairly typical. If it's a first marriage, you don't know what's normal and what's not. And were there people you could talk to? Um, Were you comparing a lot? What was kind of your emotional state? And how did you kind of get through that uncertainty? Yeah, so I'm a marriage and family major. Oh, um, yeah, I'm just a, I'm a couple of credits away from ba- graduating with my bachelor's, but awesome. it's been that on hold. Uh-huh. Different story. <laughs> so I was I was in school at the time and working, and I was compare my marriage to you know those that I read in stories and studies, and you know people I knew. Um, I was still new in the area of Washington that we were in, so I didn't have a ton of married friends. I had a ton of single friends but not so much married friends. And so what I had it to compare against was my my parents' marriage. And I come from a combined family. Mm. So that marriage was a little bit rocky at the beginning. And I mean, it turned out great, but I, I just noticed that things were so different from what everyone else was experiencing. Everyone who knew my husband before we got married knew that he was, you know, the life of the party, that everyone gravitated toward him. Everyone wanted to talk to him. And I, everyone who knows me will know that I am talkative by nature. And so I would come home and want to share parts of my life with my husband. And he wouldn't want to, he wouldn't want to talk anymore. He wouldn't want to go out and do things anymore. We used to go on long walks and we used to just, you know, get out Mm -hmm. and go to aquariums and to the ocean and stuff. And he didn't even want to do that. So I thought maybe it was me. Maybe he like marriage wasn't for him. Like I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so I and during this time he was going through a faith crisis as well. Um, we're Christians. We belong to the LDS Church, and he just wasn't hundred percent on board with any of the religion religious stuff anymore, which was fine. I allowed him to go through that process. It scared me a bit, but I I'm a firm believer in finding who the true you is. Mm. and you know what you truly want out of life and he um was just exploring a lot and it was such a difference from what I what from what he was in the beginning that I didn't know who to turn to I in my family growing up we had learned that um and in my community growing up that you don't share things you know if things are going wrong you don't share them Mm. um and so I just kind of kept it to myself and didn't really know who to turn to. Yeah. So if there were somebody listening who's going through something similar right now, it doesn't have to even be the same circumstances, but a situation where they feel like, is this normal? Um, They're not sure who they can open up to or if they should open up. Maybe this is just between the husband and wife and you shouldn't air that. I mean, yeah, there's certainly stigmas around, you know, talking openly about your marriage struggles and things like that. 
but in hindsight and in going through this process and, and being a few years beyond it now, based on what you've learned, what would you tell somebody that is struggling to try to figure it out and navigate this way through uncertainty? So, um, I've been through years of therapy now, so I'm coming out on the other side, Mm -hmm. a very different person, but I would tell the person if I were to go back and tell me, for example, from the beginning, and I tell my friends all this as well, keeping silent helps no one. It doesn't help anyone. Um, if you're in a silo, how can you expect to get help? So when you, when you feel that way, first of all, I'm very codependent, which means that I like to people please. And I don't tell anybody and I don't want to do anything to rock the boat, but rocking the boat was the best thing that I did for me and for my marriage, reaching out and looking elsewhere for help, um, gave me not only a voice, but gave us the opportunity to see that some of the behaviors we were dealing with is very normal and some of them weren't Mm -hmm. and that we could get help on some of the things that weren't. And acknowledge that some of the things that were normal were difficult, but we could work through them because other people had before. The scariest thing is going through something that you think no one else has gone through. And you never know that unless you open up and talk about it. Yes. And what I loved what you said so much is after years of therapy, you're coming out a different person on the other side. And I think what it can be really hard, and especially if you're young and married and you're trying to figure this out and you're pretty immature. I was, you know, you're thinking it's always their fault, you know, it's their issue to work through and things, and you're just going to keep doing your thing and whatever. But the moment we can realize the part that we play in it, not causing something, but the part that we can work on ourselves to be whole and strong and self-aware, not only is that modeling healthy behavior for your partner, but also regardless of the outcome, you come out a whole person. Right? Yep. And is that Definitely. what you found? Yep. Yeah. And it, it took a while. It took sure. a while for me to realize that I'm not my husband's keeper to mm. some extent. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not in charge of his behavior. I'm not in charge of the ups and the downs. I'm not even in charge of his medication. I can't be. Mm. I have to take care of myself. And if I'm taking care of myself and I'm taking the time to realize my insecurities and the things that I need to work on and working on them, then not only does it motivate him to do more, but it helps me see it from a healthy perspective rather than, you know, doom and gloom or this is going to be forever. Mm. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I've heard from a lot of women who have dealt with addictions in their relationships with their partners or with themselves. And there's a lot of, of shame and guilt that goes along with well, what role did I play in it? What's wrong with me? What did, what am I doing or not doing? Did you feel that guilt and kind of how did you work through that part? So um, I felt that guilt a lot mm. for a long time. Um, and, you know, because I he came into this marriage unhappy, so I thought it must have been, like I'm the common denominator in my mind. Um, I went to this wonderful therapist. I've been through several Um, I went to this wonderful therapist and she sat me down and she helped me examine where those thoughts even come from. Like, you know, where in my past I thought that it was all going to be my fault, that this all has to go on my shoulders. And she told me something that I have never forgotten. And she said, well, Liesl, do you have the same expectations of anybody else? If you see somebody else who, you know, say somebody got a broken arm and, you know, they weren't, their husband wasn't even there or, 
nobody was even there to cause it. Would you blame it on that? Hmm. And I was like, well, no, of course not, you know. And she said, so why are you taking the addiction on you? Like, why is his choices yours to bear when everyone else in the world, you allow them to bear their own? Uh, that stumps wow. me for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that is so powerful. And and that can relate in terms of addiction or even just any type of discontent or um right. yeah, responsibility that you feel in a marriage to keep your husband happy or your wife happy or your kids or I mean, I'm a people pleaser by nature. So I mean, this just totally <laughs> rings true oh, yeah. to me as well. And I think that is so important to give yourself the grace that you would extend to others and place the proper um, responsibility where it actually belongs. And we're only in charge of ourselves. Right. And when you can realize he's in charge of himself and I'm in charge of myself and I love him and I'll support him and I'll do what I can, but not to change him. Right. Yeah. And that's really tough in any it marriage is. I feel like coming in. Yeah. We all feel like we have to maybe influence one way or another. And I don't, I don't know where it comes from, but I do know that it's, it's one of the biggest things I learned that number one, you know, taking care of yourself is incredible for your health in your marriage. And number two, not mothering your spouse hmm. is a, a key, you know, and it, for me, it's difficult. So I'm like, well, did you take your medication today? And that's not my job. Hmm. I know what happens when he doesn't take it, but that's not my job to make sure that he does. Okay. And that's come from years of trying to figure out what is my job. Okay, so what if he says no? So what if you are tempted and you do say, did you take your medication? Because you want him to be yeah. happy and healthy and functional. You, you're coming right. from a good place. But he says, no. Or I don't like the way that makes me feel. Or whatever it is, whatever his response might be. Now, what is the healthy response that you've come to, to offer? So I've learned there's a difference between boundaries and punishments. And I often want to inflict boundaries as punishments. Like, okay, mm. well, since you're not taking this, I'm not going to do this. Mm. But, and I, I used to do that and it didn't turn out, it did not turn out very well. Um, but instead, if he doesn't choose to take his medication and doesn't, he has some people he talks to, he has therapists that he goes to. If he chooses not to self-care, then he knows that that's unhealthy behavior to be modeled around our kids. It's unhealthy behavior to be modeled, you know, for himself. And it's just not healthy. And if it gets to a place that's not healthy, I've told him, I, me and the kids can't be around you when you are unhealthy. And that's not a punishment. That's not anything. It's to keep us safe. It's mm -hmm. to keep you safe. And it's to make sure that we're all in a, a frame of mind where we can make healthy choices for the future rather than what's going on right now. That's hard. That's hard That's to do, hard. and it's hard to enforce, um, especially with people that you love, and uh, that's not easy, but it's so important, and I'm sure that's been very empowering for you as you have um, upheld those boundaries. Have you felt an increased amount of confidence and, and even love towards him when you've been able to stand your ground? Yeah, so the um, confidence has come from <laughs> lots of tears, but mm. come to the Point where I feel empowered, like you were saying, but also um, the courage to step past the fear, the fear of, well, what if, like, what if it came to the fact that he never wanted to get better again? Hmm. What if it came to the fact that he was content sitting on the couch for the rest of his life doing nothing? What would I do? And 
I have empowered myself to say no, to stand up and say no. And he knows that. And the love has actually come from um, him allowing me to choose me. And he used to say, but I'm sick. Like, I'm sick. So, you know, how, and he was sick when he said this, but how can you pretend to care about me if I'm sick and you're willing to leave me when I'm sick? And I say, um, sorry, so that loud. Um, I, I was like, well, you're choosing to be sick. It's not like a cancer patient. It's not like someone who has pneumonia. You're choosing to stay this way because you're choosing not to go get your medication. You're choosing not to go get therapy. You are choosing all these things. And because you are choosing that, I am making these choices. I have these choices. Mm. And because of that, I, and he's accepted that and he's, accepted the responsibility before it was on me like mm. well if I'm sick you have to take care of me because that's what we promised but not really I promised to take care of him if he's sick absolutely but I can't force him to take medication I can't force him to get better and so him accepting that and rising to the occasion and being like you know what you're right but not only are you right I need to take better care of myself for me has made the love for him just grow even stronger. And as you started talking about that last part, you just literally started beaming. And that just warms my heart so much. I can only imagine the darkest days that you experienced a few years ago. And you probably thought, I don't know what, what the future holds. I don't know if this marriage will last. I don't know if he'll continue to want to get better, like you said. And even still, there are ups and downs. But right. the fact that you are standing on such solid ground right now I'm not worried about you at all. <laughs> Jessica, there was a time when I was legitly worried about the future. Yeah. Every single day I woke up worried, like yeah. terrified if this was going to be forever. And I would cry to friends. I had made friends who knew what I was going through at that time and mm. cried to them over and over again and felt so weak. But um, right now is not that time. And I've learned to celebrate the times so that's not that time. Mm. Because the future seems so much brighter now than it ever has before um, because of where we've gotten. Isn't Liesl just extraordinary and so, so brave? We're going to get back to more of our conversation, but I wanted to thank one of our show sponsors, and that is Instacart. Instacart is a grocery delivery service that will literally revolutionize your whole life. It has mine. Last week, I had all three of my kids get the flu. And you know what that's like, needing those supplies, right? Needing the Gatorade, needing the saltines, needing backup paper towels, things like that. Well, I didn't want to drag them out to the store, and so Instacart came to the rescue. You can choose to shop at any of your local stores that are participating. You have a personal shopper that gathers your groceries for you. The Instacart delivery service will deliver your groceries in as little as one hour or at a time you select. They keep the items hot and cold items cold. It is just amazing and you won't have to sit in traffic or lug those kids out when they have the flu so if you want to try instacart and get ten dollars off your first order to get this limited time offer you can go to instacart.com or download the mobile app and enter my promo code eep at checkout that's ten dollars off your first order by going to instacart.com or through the mobile app and don't forget to enter my code eep instacart.com or through the mobile app with my code eep at checkout thanks so much instacart for sponsoring this show give it a try you're gonna love it okay let's get back to it with liesel you're amazing liesel holy cow wow we wow we 
what does your husband think of you sharing all of this? Um, I was a little bit nervous about that. Um, so I talked to him about it and he, I never want to share things that would make him stuck, you know, be stuck. Um, mm. people's perceptions have a lot of power. Mm. And so I didn't want to share anything that would be, keep him there in that space. You know, we've all said and done things that we regret. And if pe certain people knew things about us, it, it would keep us there for forever mm. because that's what they're going to remember. But I, so I talked to him about this and he feels that it's very important. And he's always been an advocate for talking out about addiction. Um, he'll openly talk about his addictions to people mm. and he'll openly talk about his bipolar disorder and how that affects his life. And so he, he was, um, perfectly fine with me sharing it. And I think that this is also something that he has almost been anticipating, mm. if that makes sense, mm -hmm. to get to the point where he's able to share it easier. Because at this point, it's been people he's talked to um, at our church or, you know, just in passing. But he, I think, is ready for this to come out because I told him that I was planning on sharing this and he was happy for me. And he plans on listening to this and supporting me through this journey, Aww. which is wonderful. That is so wonderful. And I commend you, Sean. Like I said before, that is just amazing. I heard another interview with somebody else whose husband um, struggled with infidelity. And the interviewer asked, what does your husband think of you sharing this? Because it's very personal and most people wouldn't want that aired. And she said, it was so stressful always worrying, him worrying and her worrying about like what people knew. You know, like, did they know? Did they not know? How much did they know? And then, of course, our, our minds love narratives. And we're going to create whatever story we want in our minds. So if we think something's wrong in Lisa and Sean's marriage, we're going to kind of, like, stir that up or guess or whatever. If you're presenting people with the facts and with accuracy and with transparency, you have the upper hand. You Definitely. Have, you are in the position of power, not the other people. And... um. Yeah, not that that makes it easier, but when you come at it from a place of this is what is and and you present how you want it to be perceived with confidence and transparency that we're all imperfect. We all have our struggles. This is yours. This is his. I shared mine. Gosh, what an empowering position. And the friendships that are can only strengthen from that spot. Definitely. Have you found that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I used to have very... Um, I don't want to call them superficial friends. They were like very shallow. Nice yeah. Like, yeah. yeah level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could talk to them about the weather. You could talk to them about what you did last weekend, but you couldn't talk to them about anything deeper. And if you tried, they would kind of shut down. Hmm. And so I, since I've been opening up, I found friends that care, friends that will be there, you know, friends I can call up at two o'clock in the morning or cry on after a particularly hard day and they won't shut down, they'll only empower. And those are the types of people that I've tended to gravitate towards. And kind of, you know, the other ones have fallen by the wayside a bit because I don't have the space in my, um, my being for people who are only interested in the stories of my life. They're not mm -hmm. interested in the deeper emotions and the feelings and the actions. Yes. Yes. And I think in this new year of, you know, the tidying up thing, that that craze, have you seen oh, yeah. that on Netflix or anything? Oh, yeah. I mean, like Goodwill <laughs> is benefi benefiting to the max right now. And right. I love the idea of really getting clear on what belongs 
in our life in general? Like what belongs on our calendar? What relationships deserve space? And some relationships, you can say, thank you for your service and goodbye. And then some are the ones that you really want to make more space for. And we have limited time, limited energy. Are you spending your time and energy on the things that matter most? And so I love how you gain more clarity on the people that mattered and now you're able to create that space to invest in them and pour into them and have them do that with you versus spreading yourself more thinly for more shallow level relationships. Um, and I think in different seasons of life, we've all been there. So I think that's really wise of you to, to do that and curate your friendships like that. Right. Well, especially since my time has become more limited mm-hmm. um, since I started my business, I, I just have to, filter, 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 and decide, okay, who am I going to spend time and energy pouring into? And who is, you know, going to give me the support, um, that I need back. Mm, Yeah. So I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. And sometimes those people might tell you hard truths too. It's not just the people that always tell you what you want to hear. Right. And like, Oh Oh, oh, it's okay. Oh, you're the best. Sometimes you might be wrong and it's good to have that trusted circle that can tell you, let's think about this differently. Or let's do this differently, trusting those people. But don't let any voice tell you that. It has to be a trusted voice for sure. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, Yeah, I love those types of friendships. I'm sure one of your fears, well, you can speak to this. Maybe I should rephrase that. Was one of your fears years ago, what was going to happen to your financial security, your your livelihood, everything as he was changing jobs. And you probably wondered, okay, if he does have bipolar and then he did receive that diagnosis, is he going to be able to work? Is that is is that going to be something him rely on? Did you have a skill set and a job that could provide income from your family at the time? Or how did you kind of resolve that fear? When my husband, uh, right before my husband got diagnosed, um, my son was about, oh, how old is he? Oh, so maybe it was right after he got diagnosed. He wasn't very old, um, but it was around the same time my husband got diagnosed. My brother started up a breast milk company called Ambrosia Milk, and um, him and his friends started this company where they would set up clinics in Cambodia and give them free screenings and make sure they were healthy and that their babies were healthy, and they would pump milk, and they would pay him for the milk, and they would um, lightly pasteurize it there and then ship it over to the U.S., where they were able to provide milk for the NICUs and um, other people in the U.S. who didn't, weren't able to breastfeed or wanted the benefits of breast milk. So um, he started this company, and it was just two college students. And I knew that in order to get the word out, they had to do some marketing. I had never been in marketing. I didn't know anything about it. All I knew was I knew, you know, I had been noticing things, trends on Facebook, trends on Instagram, and trends on YouTube. And I felt like I could at least offer my free services. You know? so <laughs> the price was right for him. <laughs> right, right. It totally was for him. And so I worked with them for about two years. Um, we took their little Ambrosia Milk Company and brought it off the ground. It became internationally renowned. And um, it was an amazing effort. I, we did a poll, and it turns out we affected 80 families in Cambodia. Um, the women were picking up garbage off the streets to be able to provide for their families. And they were able to put meat on their table for the first time every single day. And they were just so, and we were blessing lives in the U S too. It was just an incredible experience. And I was just so delighted to be a part of it. But, um, in 2000 and I want to say the late 2017, um, 
the Cambodian president shut it down as part of his movement and for improving the um, trafficking in Cambodia. Hmm. Um, people were using surrogates out of Cambodia and not paying them very well. And he just lumped it into the same category and we got shut down. So my brother and his partner dissolved the business. Um, and my brother is now in business school and his friend has also gone a different direction. But I had these marketing skills and I had this experience and I had ignited something and I loved it. I so loved it. So I dove deeper into digital marketing and eventually got um, another client with a trucking company where I ran their marketing. I did the billboards and everything like that. Anyway, this whole thing was just a side hobby. You know, I stay up late sometimes working on it and I'd work on it in my free time. It would feed me and, um, you know, that creative outlet. So when my husband was so depressed that he lost his job, I remember jumping on the phone with my sister and I knew I had 20 minutes until my husband got home and I had to get everything out so that when he got home, I could be strong because I knew he was in a place to comfort me and be there for me. So I cried to my sister and I said, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. I don't make enough at this mm. hobby to really pay the bills. And she said, well, Lisa, you have a family. He can go back to work, but what, what can you do? You know, what can you do from here? And I thought about it for a minute and I decided before he even got home that I had make it, made it work in the past from nothing and I could make it work now. And so when he got home, I told him that he was not healthy enough to get another job. It was just going to end up the same way. Our family needed stability. And I told him I was going to go full time. And we didn't know what that was going to look like. We didn't know how it was going to play out. But I knew that I had done it before and I could do it again. Hmm. So I... Amazing. <laughs> oh, amazing. Okay, keep going, keep going. So what did you do? So I um, went on... I, I dove deeper into digital marketing. Um, I reached out to my dad. He's a computer programmer in Utah, works for a company called MX, but he had a lot of contacts. So I asked him if there was anybody I could talk to about growing a digital marketing business. And he put me in contact with this guy from a company down here in Red X. And he said, I, I talked to him and it was the head of a marketing team. And he started talking about this thing called copywriting and I didn't know exactly what it was. I had been doing it for years, but I didn't know what it was. And so I got off that call inspired and with direction. I started following people like Gary Vee. I started, you know, listening to podcasts and following people who had started from nothing and made it into everything. And I got on a call with a business coach one day, um, it was supposed to be a free strategy session and it was worth every free penny, but it was worth more than that. And she, she told me, she said, Liesl, what do you like doing out of all the stuff that you do? You know, I've run billboard campaigns. I had done Facebook marketing and Instagram marketing. I'd made YouTube videos. I had done all these things. She said, what do you like doing out of that? And I said, I actually really like writing. When I was writing for the Ambrosia Milk Company, I had created this, this community of women and men the parents who were willing to share their stories about miscarriage and, you know, all these great raw and important things and create a community around that. And so I told her writing was my, my jam. And she said, well, what if you could 
write every day and make a living. And I laughed her out, <laughs> out of the room because I said, if I could only do that, then that would be the dream. But here I am looking for more education because there's always more things to be educated in marketing. And she said, well, let's just try it. So I hired her and we tried it. And by the end of April, so I started this whole thing. This is January. I talked to her in February. By the end of April, I was supporting our family full time. What on earth? What were you writing? <laughs> what were you? Everyone's going to want to know. What? So what did you write? How did you do it? I, so I started niching out in real estate. So my husband, oh. throughout his manic and depressive episodes, had become a real estate agent. Okay. And I had been supportive the whole way. We had also um, bought a duplex along the way and lived in one side while we renovated the other. So I knew something about investing. Um, and I realized that there was this niche of real estate agents who needed blog and um, email drips written. So I got in there and I found a couple clients and they just kind of snowballed in from there. And now I'm switching over to just email marketing and I'm going more towards the entrepreneur um, area because that's what real estate agents really are and that's what excites me about real estate agents. But yeah, I just found my niche and I researched my butt off. (laughs) I just dove in. And wow. came out on the other end. So. And now you're supporting your family full time. Yeah, um, yeah. My husband did go back to work a month ago uh-huh. as a sales rep, which is like his dream job. Great. And But he didn't have to. Right. He went back to work to support me so that I'd have more time with our kids and could pivot my business in a, a whole new way. And it's been wonderful. Well, and I'm sure even not having the burden of having to support his family probably alleviates some of the stress associated with the symptoms he experiences through his mental illness. Um, Just being able to work in a job that he enjoys and is good at and things like that, I bet that just helps the overall morale and the sentiment that he has going to work every day. Is that true? Right. Definitely. And I knew when I went back to work that I was doing what I want. And I've always been very passionate about people finding what brings them joy in life mm-hmm. because you're going to be working, um, you know, your whole life if you want to make a good living or want to make money or want to achieve your goals. And so having him have his passion was a very big, not light bulb moment, but more of a stipulation for him going back to work. I knew mm-hmm. that if it didn't feed him, that we'd end up back where we started. So when he found that and was able to do that and, um, we're able to create a business together where we support each other. You know, we're not working in business together, yeah. but where we're able to support each other and say, you know what, I'm going to take today off because I need it. We can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what the life we've designed is that mental health comes first and stability is right along that place, but we can support each other to provide that stability. It's not just up to him anymore. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I am so proud of you. I am so glad that you have not only found a way to support your family financially, but also that it's been through a vehicle that you genuinely enjoy. What a wise woman to say, out of all the things you can do, what do you love doing? And could you have a career around that? And I think that's true for anybody listening, whether it's turning something into a career or whether it's just pursuing a hobby, you know, Maybe you don't love cleaning the house, but you love cooking and you can help others meal plan or even just help yourself meal plan with more organization. You know, putting the time and intention into things that really light you up can change your whole outlook on life. 
even if you're not making a dime from it. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was, I was so inspired and so excited when I worked for um, my brother's breast milk company. I wasn't yeah. making a penny. Yeah. I wasn't making a single penny for two years and I worked my heart and soul into it because I loved it. Yeah. And that's how I knew. That's how I knew I could make it into a business. Yes. I wasn't going to be scared. I love that so, so much. And so I want to end with kind of a PSA for people who may have misconceptions about bipolar disorder, um, may have questions, things like that. What do you want people to know about those with bipolar disorder? And what do you want spouses to know who maybe are supporting them through a challenging time like what you've been through? So the first thing I did when he got his diagnosis was Google mm. um, bipolar disorder couples in marriage. You can't find much about it, and what you do find about it ends in divorce a lot of times. And so what I want them to know is that it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to end in divorce. It doesn't have to end in a really awful spot where you stay married just to stay married. Um, it can be this wonderful thing. As long as both people, both parts of the, the union are willing to work on it, then there's hope. Mm-hmm. There's always hope. And self-care on both ends of the spectrum has to be met for that hope to even be there so don't give up just take care of yourself and you know take care of them as much as you can but be there and for each other and your marriage can work out it doesn't have to be a statistic on the internet it doesn't have to be the google result it can Mm. be what you want it to be yeah i love that Way to go, Liesl. And way to go, Sean. We have to give him so much credit um, oh, yeah. in this journey. It is not an easy thing, and it's not even a matter of him choosing to take medication, to not take medication, to get go to therapy, to not – because there's so many factors at play that I think we need to have a lot of compassion for. And so um, I just really admire him in, in this part of the journey as well. Well, we have recently renamed the podcast Everyday Extraordinary, and I've changed the three final questions that I would like to ask to you now, Liesl. So what would you say is your purpose in life? My purpose is to bring joy wherever I am, however I can, that life is meant to be joyful, and I want to inspire others to find what that joy means to them. You're doing it. You're doing it. <laughs> I love it. I'm trying. Yeah, that is that is very good. What makes you smile? A lot of things make me smile. Um, I, I've been thinking about happiness in general recently, and I and my kids really bring me joy. But what brings me joy in life in general is seeing that light bulb moment in everyone, you know, where they find their passion or their hobby or just take the time to laugh. It just, it just makes me smile every single time. Seeing other people happy. I love that. And on this podcast, I use the adjective extraordinary to label all my guests. I, I, I'm forthright in saying you are so extraordinary. And I really believe that we are all extraordinary. We all have extraordinary aspects to who we are and how God made us. And when we're willing to show up with all of our unique qualities and strengths and even our weaknesses we're able to contribute something beautiful and wonderful and needed in this world. But I think many of us don't believe it. We don't view ourselves <laughs> as valuable as we are. And we are shortchanging our potential when we do not acknowledge how valuable and extraordinary we are. And so my goal is for all the listeners to be able to identify that in themselves 
and by outing people like you, Liesl, and getting you to acknowledge and tell me one thing that makes you extraordinary. So I think uh, what makes me extraordinary is that I'm an overcomer. So when I'm knocked down, I find a reason behind it, and I stand up, and I figure out how this was meant to be my strength and how I can make it become so. And I think that's needed a lot in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. And I love it when these extraordinary um, descriptions are not things you necessarily put on a resume. You know, I'm a really good hula hooper and I put that on a resume for (laughs) far too long. But um, I mean, that's not what makes me extraordinary. What makes you extraordinary is who you are. And I love that description of yourself. Have you read the book Rising Strong by Brene Brown? No, but I need to. I've heard Brene Brown is amazing yes. and I have put her off for far too long. Okay. Okay. Make it a priority. Remember how we're going to prioritize the things that matter in your life? This is one of the things. And then you're going to email me back and tell me how much you loved it. Because it's like therapy in a book. It literally is. So it's called Rising Strong. And it's the sequel kind of to Daring Greatly, which is another book that she wrote. But I liked Rising Strong better. Um, and it's about how when we step out with do hard things or try hard things, inevitably we're going to fall down, but it's how you get back up that matters. And it's exactly that that. idea of overcoming and being willing to get in the ring in the first place in order to fight. And that's what you're doing. And that is what you're doing. And, and she puts a lot of language to it that I know that you probably already have from, from therapy and because you're so wise. Um, but, but still, I know you're just going to love that book. So check that out. Oh, I will. Thank you for the recommendation. Yes, Liesl, thank you so much for sharing your story. Sean, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for, for allowing your wife to, to share the aspects of, of your journey. Um, it is so encouraging to see somebody bucking the statistics and, and really creating a thriving, beautiful, extraordinary life together. I really admire that. Liesl, thank you. Thank you, Jessica. Have a great day. You too. That was a brave episode. That was a story she could have kept inside. That is a journey she did not have to share publicly. But I'm so proud of her. I'm proud of her husband for being brave and going first and not using this as an experience that deserves any more shame than they've probably already felt about it. But then when you expose it to the light, it can breathe and it could free other people. Perhaps you're listening and you've been in a similar situation or you know somebody that has or you can at least relate to those feelings of struggle. Liesl is proof that there's hope in all things, in all circumstances and it's a matter of outlook and it's a matter of putting one foot in front of the other to just keep going. Oh, Liesl, you're amazing. So thanks for coming on the show. Pictures of Liesl and her beautiful family are over on ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com and Everyday Extraordinary, uh, nope, EverydayExtraordinaryPodcast.com too. <laughs> We're still working on merging the sites. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at JessicaDahlquist3 or at Everyday Extraordinary Podcast as well. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved this episode or any other episodes, I would love for you to screenshot it and share it with a friend. Share it on social media. Be sure to tag me so I can say thank you. All right, that'll do it for today, and we will see you next week, everybody, for another extraordinary episode. Bye.